Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Honest as a Mother podcast. You're back with Amanda. And today I have two very exciting guests, which I have been kind of counting down the days for because this is something I am very, very passionate about. And I'm very, very, very excited to have Jamie and Patricia on today, who are the co-founders of the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative. So welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank you guys so Thanks much for, for having us. Okay, so just a little bit of a background for you guys. Uh, Jamie is the co-founder of the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative, which is a group of advocates lobbying for the federal government to create a perinatal mental health strategy. Her work experience includes 16 years of clinical nursing, seven years in higher education, and seven years in clinical leadership positions. She's collaborating at the local, provincial, and national level with multiple organizations and committees. And then we have Patricia. She is a mom of two and she struggled to help find help for her perinatal mental illness. So she's got professional as well as a personal experience. She is a former journalist turned fierce advocate who went from writing about the state of maternal mental health in Canada as a reporter to lobbying for the federal government for a national perinatal mental health strategy. She is the co-founder and communications director for the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative and the founder of the Cheeky Maternal Mental Health Matters Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages with over 13,000 followers. And your page, Patricia, I love it. I love all the memes. Thanks. They're very so relatable. I'm like, I love laughing and I love jokes and I know this is uh, can be a extremely heavy topic mm-hmm. so um, I do that on the side to lighten things up a little I think you have to I feel like and I'm not sure if if this would relate to you but sometimes now that I feel like I'm through like the darker end of things that when I talk about it now I just feel like I have to lighten it up a little bit just a little bit because now that I'm on the other end of things I see things for what it was, but then I also see that like everybody can relate. So when you put a little humor into it, it almost makes it that much more relatable. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. I wasn't laughing when I was going through it too. It wasn't funny at all. I always had a dark sense of humor and that's something that I missed when I was going through uh, perinatal mental illness. So I'm glad to have it back and and share the the dark silliness of my self with the world again. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm glad. I'm glad you guys are here for that. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming out onto my podcast today. This is such an important topic for me. I recently went through postpartum depression myself. This is the reason I started this podcast. I started to struggle mentally and I just really wanted it. I wanted my podcast to be just this. I need people to help me discuss like the problems in the system, but then also try and normalize the issues that new moms go through. I was a second time mom. So I feel like that felt worse for me because I felt more of a failure because that this was my second time going through this. I didn't understand why I couldn't get it together. You know what I mean? So thank you guys. I really, really appreciate it. The work that you're doing is so important and I'm excited to hear more. So my first question that I do have is how did this come to be? Where did this all start for you guys? You want to take it, Jamie? Sure. I met Patricia uh, probably five years ago, and I just started uh, a new position in the Aurelia Hospital as the Regional Perinatal Mood Disorder Coordinator. And Patricia was looking to interview this new person. She had heard about the hiring. She had spoken to the public health unit. She had called corporate communications at my hospital. And I was so new that they didn't know I existed yet. 
<laughs> and so Patricia persevered. She ended up interviewing me and we, we had an instant connection uh, based on our histories and based on, you know, our knowledge of perinatal mental health and the gaps that exist. And because of that connection, we kind of banded together to advocate at different levels over the next couple of years. And then in 2018, January of 2019, actually, we started the Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative. And we started slowly and really increased public knowledge or social media knowledge of us in January of 2019. I'll let Patricia take over that piece. I think we came, I think our coming out party was, was, to, was this, was uh, this year actually, uh, funny enough with everything happening in, in 2020, <laughs> we had a whole plan for our year, just like everyone else, I guess. And things went off the rails a lot for most of us, but we're happy with what we've been able to accomplish so far. But, you know, before we steal your show away from you, okay. your question was how we met. And yeah, so Jamie and I, and it turns out we live in the same city. So that helps. We're like a couple kilometers apart. I could run to her house if I ran, if I did that kind of thing. <laughs> if you so desired. <laughs> yeah. If, if I actually, you know, if I, if I run, I could, I could like walk really fast. I, I don't mind doing that. But usually I drive there. <laughs> so it's easy for us to meet at each other's homes and Starbucks. And, you know, we're both passionate about it. And so we were like, who is pushing for anything in Canada or anything in Ontario? We couldn't find any advocacy groups. So we said, for lack of a better term, F it, let's do it ourselves. And here we are. Yeah, that's amazing. And it is crazy because I, when I was kind of looking you guys up, I noticed the same thing. I feel like a lot of moms who have gone through it or are in the middle of it are advocating on social media, but there's nobody advocating like at your level, right? Mm -hmm. So seriously, what you guys are doing is, is amazing. So tell me more about 2020, because I have to say, I know you started to say like 2020 is kind of where things started to take off. And that was going to be one of my questions was, do you feel like 2020 has pushed you forward with this or kind of held you back? But it sounds like it's pushed you forward. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, the pandemic has kind of <clears throat> well, not kind of, it has made our mission, our issue, our, you know, perinatal mental illness worse for a lot of new moms and dads. So mm -hmm. we, our mission is a national strategy. We want, we don't want to leave any mom, dad, partner behind in any jurisdiction in Canada. So, I mean, we live in Barrie, Ontario. We could have started with just Barrie, could have done Ontario, but we wanted to take it national. And now, you know, there are some studies that are starting to come out and saying that the average rate of postpartum depression in Canada is, is upwards of 20%, but usually it's like, you know, one in five. But now uh, studies are coming out saying that it's pushing, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie, pushing 30 and 40%. Like, that's yeah, a big leap. It. Yeah, that's a big number. So uh, so our mission is has taken on a grand, a, a more of, of uh, urgency. We started in January, of course, no one knowing that the pandemic was to come. Our uh, focus was a petition to the House of Commons, a petition for a national strategy. That was going to be like our introduction to the federal government. So we did our petition, but when it came time to actually launch it in the House of Commons, it was a virtual House of Commons. We were right in the middle of the beginning of the pandemic. And so our campaign became 
hashtag now more than ever. You know, we need a national strategy now more than ever. So we put a video compilation together. We had, we were so fortunate to have great responses from not only moms across the country and dads, but we had mayors, we had MPs of all parties, and we had uh, some of the cast of Working Moms. You know, we had Juno Rinaldi yeah, submit a video that. to us and a few other celebrities too. So, uh, you know, we're not going to name drop here, but this is something that affects you no matter what stage you're at, whether you're on TV or you're rich, poor, black, white, perinatal mental illness does not discriminate. We're all affected by it. So that's what we did in the beginning of 2020. What, what are we doing now, Jamie? I'll leave that to you. Yeah, tell us a little <laughs> bit of what you guys are doing now. I actually was uh, checking out your Now More Than Ever campaign and I wanted to ask you about it, so... Thanks for just handling that. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Yeah, the the Now More Than Ever campaign really cycled or circled around World Maternal Mental Health Day, which is the first week of May. Mm -hmm. And so we were just overjoyed with that. And so that excitement led us into the next part where we wanted to survey Canadian healthcare practitioners and get a sense of how they are assessing diagnosing, treating, and recovering people that have perinatal mental illness. And we know that there are huge gaps, but what we decided to do is to create this survey. Um, And part of our, our Canadian Perinatal Mental Health Collaborative is a national committee, which is full of Canadian researchers and advocates and people with lived experience. And many of them uh, commented on the survey saying they really wanted it to be peer reviewed and put forward to um, an academic institution through their research ethics board. So we did, we put it through to the University of Calgary. Calgary. And our uh, primary investigator is Dr. Leanne Tomfor. And so we got the approval and we are about to launch our survey this week because it is Mental Illness Awareness Week from October 4th today and to the 10th. And so we like to launch all of our campaigns around a significant event. So that survey is going live. We are hoping to reach out to family doctors, nurse practitioners, nurses, psychiatrists, doulas, midwives, psychologists, and the list goes on. Anybody that's interacting from conception to one year postpartum with women and men. And we really want to figure out what is going on over Canada. What type of guidelines are they following? What best practice have they used in their practice? How has COVID affected their practice? So really trying to get a very succinct idea of what's happening all across Canada. And so we're super excited to be able to do this. And then our social ambassador group, a group of social media savvy individuals is going to push it across all of their different social media channels. Yeah, we're super excited. Everything, I know COVID has kind of put the brakes on, but at the same time, we have achieved so much in the last nine months. We're very proud of ourselves and the committed members of our committee and ambassador group who just do things 
so effortlessly. They yeah, jump on not, board and we're not funded at all. This is all, this is purely mm -hmm. passion driven. We yes, are, that's amazing. we don't accept sponsorship or funding. I mean, we would trust me. We, <laughs> well, yeah, we just don't have time to write grants and all of that. We're doing this as, as Jamie says, I love to use it off the side of our desks. We both have full-time jobs, mm -hmm. but this is something we absolutely wholeheartedly 100% believe in is missing in Canada compared to yeah. like, you'll see we're we're planning a report that we're going to hand over to the federal government after we're finished our survey. This is something, the survey that we hoped that we could be working together with the government on, but unfortunately our, their response to the petition was not, yay, let's work on a national strategy together. So we're going ahead and doing the work that uh, we were hoping they were going to do. And we're still hoping to work together at some point. So we're hoping to launch a yeah. report with recommendations on a strategy. And the reason why we're doing all of this is because we didn't get, you know, the response that we, we were hoping for with the petition. So right. we're doing all this work pro bono, as they say, but we're happy to do it. We're passionate about it. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know this in Canada because we don't talk about it, but there are amazing things happening in perinatal mental health in other countries that are way more advanced than us. Yeah. Um, the UK, Australia, and believe it or not, even the US. So wow. those are some things we're going to talk about too in our report. Uh, just briefly, something like a mother baby unit. Uh, may, uh, probably most of your listeners have never heard of that. In the no, UK, they've existed for decades. Right now, if a mother in Canada has a postpartum psychosis or postpartum bipolar disorder or a psychotic onset or severe perinatal mental illness and they need to be hospitalized, they'll go into the general psych ward but, and their baby will be taken away from them. Um, right. But in the UK, and there's one in the US and they exist in Australia, they have mother baby units where it's, it's, it's like a, it's a hospital. It's a, it's a section of a hospital just for, just for moms and perinatal mental illness and they can keep their babies with them. And they, mm -hmm. as well as mainstream treatment, like medication and therapy, they also do things like yoga and nutrition. Like it's amazing. Yoga? We, yeah, that yoga, amazing. you love yoga. Yeah. We don't even have one MBU mother baby unit in Canada. No. So and that's Lots a big fear. Mm -hmm. That's a big fear. What you just said for a lot of moms, like you hear that all the time. Well, I didn't ask for help because I was scared they're going to take my baby away. And that's a valid fear. And if, if we had just something as simple as that, imagine how that could get rid of those fears. Like those fears could be eliminated knowing like I can openly talk about this and I have somewhere to go to be with my child and work on what I need to work on. Right. Exactly. And, just to, and just to clarify a piece, you know, when a mother is admitted to a psychiatric unit, her baby isn't taken away. The baby right. has to go with family. So they're breaking right. that bond. They're breaking that right. dyad that we call where it's so important for them to continue to build that attachment and maybe they're breastfeeding. Absolutely. So, you know, when we say, oh, you know, you we can support your mental health, but you, you can't have the baby with you on the unit for safety reasons, of course. That's right. breaking that bond. It's breaking that ability to learn and communicate with your infant. And they, they really need their, their parent at that moment. And mm -hmm. for many women, having the baby with them is self-protective. Absolutely. And so kind of what 
you know, the other piece that you were talking about is that some women do feel that if they tell their family doctor or somebody that they're having maybe intrusive thoughts or other right. type of perinatal mental illness, that Children's Aid Society will take their baby away. Mm-hmm. And that was actually one of the very first things I did when I started in my position was to have a very open and honest discussion with Children's Aid Society about what, under what circumstances would they. And the reality is the CAS, especially lately, is really transforming their system. And they want the babies in the home. They want to help create <clears throat> safety and learning opportunities for new parents and they want to build bonds and so it would take a lot to separate mom and baby if she were having mental health illness really what we're looking for is that she has positive supports that she can access the system and that that she has people wrapping around her And so I really hope that we can decrease that stigma attached to CAS and, and really help promote that. If you need help, please reach out. Mm -hmm. You are not alone. There are people to help you. That's probably the most important message because I am someone who struggles a little bit with mental health on the regular. I do struggle with anxiety and I have been very open about that. But then as soon as I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety, I was just like embarrassed. And it took me until I was almost five months postpartum to even mention it to my husband. So I really like that you guys are working with that because I hope that does break the stigma. I hope it does help moms be more comfortable to even mention it to my husband. I was terrified to mention it to my husband, who is like the most supportive person in the world, never mind then how long it took me to then call my doctor after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not, it's not your fault. Well, of course, perinatal mental illness isn't your fault, but also feeling that stigma isn't your fault because there's just not enough education and awareness out there. So I went through the same thing after my first, first of all, I didn't even know what was happening to me. But finally, when I started to uh, reach out for help, and I needed to tell my husband about how I was feeling, you know, the only the only stories we had heard of about postpartum depression was either the fight between Brooke Shields and Tom Cruise and something about taking medication is bad, or that that you you want to harm your baby or yourself so my husband got scared right away and said right if you feel like harming the baby i'm i'm leaving the house with the baby and you know like it's because we just there's just so much misinformation you know we when we went to the ob appointments we would we there was never it would wouldn't have been great if at the beginning there was one dedicated appointment to oh so you know this is perinatal perinatal mental illness and this you know, just education around it. This is what can happen. And because, you know, we're tested for everything else during pregnancy. So yeah, I feel you there that the stigma. And then also I would email my friends and say, this is after my first when I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh my God, I'm so anxious, but I'm having like physical things. Like I have heart palpitations and I can't sleep and my muscles are so tight and I can't stop thinking of things that are going to go wrong. And I'm having these weird thoughts. And my friends were all like, oh yeah, we've all been there. That's just motherhood. Right. That's and another so thing. Like, oh my God. So, and then when I kept saying, no, I think there's something actually wrong with me. They'd be like, stop it. Like get over yourself. It's motherhood. Like, don't worry about it. You know, some friends, not all friends. I do have some good friends that wish they were saying, you know, maybe you want to get checked out by a doctor, but 
we just didn't know enough about it. Um, and this was my first daughter is uh, 11. So this was 11 years ago. So I feel like already in 11 years, we've come a long way because new moms I talk to now and new dads have heard about it, know a little bit more about it. They know it's not just about harming your child or harming yourself, but there's still a long way to go. And, you know, we have the bell, let's talk here in Canada. And yes, we talk, we keep talking about it. Talk, 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 but we need action. We need to improve the system. And that's what Jamie and I are fighting for. At the very least, screening. And I know that this is is something that we don't want screening. And then if you are screened positive, that you need more help with perinatal mental illness, you need somewhere to go. So you can't just screen somebody and say, yes, you've scored such and such on the Edinburgh right. postpartum depression scale. Now you need therapy and medication, but I don't really have anybody to send you to. I don't really know about the medication because a lot of doctors aren't trained on it. We need the whole system working together. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or it's unethical, right? So we need to be able to provide every person who is struggling with the same accessible and equitable care. So if you screen positive, these are the channels. These are the routes or different treatment options. And everybody gets asked. Everybody uh, gets access. Right now, unfortunately, the way that, you know, our mental health system is, and especially with COVID, even if you do screen positive, you could be told there's a one-year waiting list. These women and men don't need help in a year. They need it now. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, typically in the triage process, they are fast-tracked, but... You know, I've had people tell me, you know, my doctor screened me and then told me that there are no safe meds in pregnancy or postpartum. And I'm like, actually, there are. You need to get a second opinion. And so we know right now, currently, women and men are being met with a lot of insensitivity and invalidation by their healthcare providers because mental health is a very small part of their curriculum. So we need, as a minimum, screening, yes, but we need as a, as a minimum people that can be compassionate, people that can, you know, say, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry for your struggle. Just some very humane comments, you know, so people feel supported that they, you know, after it's taken five months of struggle, that they, you know, finally come into their healthcare provider, they need to be supported. They need positive statements. And they need to know that something is going to happen because they've come forward and talked about their struggle. So that's a basic. Yeah, absolutely. And even when you were saying like the screening process, I know everybody has different experiences, but with both of my kids, my, like, obviously everybody just gets their six week follow-up at six weeks. I was, I was okay. Like nothing was really, I'm sure I wasn't, but nothing was jumping out to me to think that I needed some, some help. And all you really got, all I got anyway, was, are you feeling, you know, sad? Um, Do you have emotional support? Do I have any thoughts of suicide or harming my child? And I didn't, but even like five weeks later, I struggled with anger. So I still wasn't depressed. I still didn't want to harm myself or my child. So I put it off and put it off because I didn't fall into that category, so to say, but you're right. If we had at minimum screening, And maybe not just at six weeks. And then maybe to make a very clear picture of what it could look like in the grand scheme of things, because it's not just 
So if you don't want to hurt your child, you don't want to hurt yourself and you're not crying every single day, then you're fine. Right. And that's what happened with me too. Like my postpartum struggles didn't happen until three months postpartum. And it wasn't the typical, you know, postpartum depression. So 15 years ago, you know, as a nurse, I knew about postpartum depression, but my symptoms were more anxiety. And so when it didn't fit into the box, I'm like, well, you know, I must be okay. And nobody's talking about this. So I just, you know, kept pushing it off and pushing it off, but continuing to struggle. And I never sought treatment or help because I didn't know, I knew something was wrong. I didn't see myself in the, in the, you know, portrayal of postpartum depression. You didn't I wasn't fit the mold. Yeah, exactly. And so everybody around me knew that I was struggling. I required a lot of support. And I thank God for all, you know, the family that surrounded me because I couldn't have gotten through it without them. And I think about all of these women and men right now having babies that are not getting that type of support. And it just puts so much pressure and isolation and exacerbation of symptoms you know, for Absolutely. these families. I was just going to say too, you know, and it's, and it's not just about the parents that are struggling. It's the effect that the parents struggling is going to have on these babies when they grow up and become adults, because we know that parents who are untreated for perinatal mental illness, for depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, psychosis, if they don't receive the proper treatment and follow through, their children are more likely to grow up and then develop depression, anxiety, whatever in their adult life. And so the cycle just perpetuates itself. Right. Yeah. And then you can almost continue the cycle of, well, I was fine. I got through it. You'll be fine. Right. Like if your child, if you got through it and then your child goes through it, you might have that look outlook too. Like, okay, yeah, I experienced that, but I got through it. You'll get through it. Right. Cause I yes. know like my mom is supportive but that's what she did when I told her she was like oh no you don't have that don't worry about it you'll get through it it's just motherhood oh yeah you're bringing up a generational thing too yeah you know we talk about it a lot more now but you talk about stigma it stigma was huge you know just a generation ago right so right so I love um, that we're having this conversation because mm -hmm. hopefully we are raising these children who will not have that stigma and they'll be more open and they'll be able to talk, but it is hard. It's hard to break that. And it's even still to this day, like I've told my parents, especially my dad, like my mom understands she's a woman. So I think she understands more, but even my dad, like explaining to him what an anxiety attack was mm. like, he just, he was like, okay. And he's listening and he was so supportive and understanding. He said to me, I get that. I get that all the time. Like when I get really mad, my heart beats really fast. And I'm like, Mm. bless your heart for trying but like you know I just feel like we could talk all it would day be about so the generation much easier. thing it would be so much easier if you could see it right I mean that's the mm -hmm. whole stigma of mental health you know as a, the whole the big picture if it was a broken arm fine if it was gestational right. diabetes fine you have a medical marker but our researchers and scientists are working hard on medical markers because the brain is an organ of the body and it affects our thoughts, but it's something that it's hard for people to grasp that it's an actual physical, biological illness on a spectrum, on different mm -hmm. levels. So you can have mild depression and still be debilitated. And then you can have moderate and severe and go into, you know, different psychoses. So I think that's, it's hard to grasp 
I think during the, when I went through it the first time, I thought it was my fault because I didn't understand that it was an ill, an actual illness. So I thought this was like a character flaw. I just thought I was overwhelmed with motherhood. I yeah. could fix it myself if I just get my act together. So that's what I did. I worked on myself. I started reading all these self-help books, change your thoughts, change your life. Like I, I really mm -hmm. thought everything was on me. It was my fault. And then um, when I got pregnant again, now my second is six years old. I was like, okay, I worked on myself. I, you know, I, I worked through all everything that I went through as a child. I'm all good. My head's in the right space. My relationship is stellar. I have no stress. My career is fine. Like ev everything on the outside was fine. So I was going to be fine. And do you know what happened? I suffered from perinatal mental illness a second time, 10 times worse than no. the first time. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head that, oh my God, this is a biological physical illness that just happened inside me because I don't know, the hormones, with the fluctuation of the hormones, the neurotransmitters, you know, you have to talk to researchers and scientists then, but my outside was perfect. The environment right. around me was stress-free but it still happened. And that's when it, that's when I realized it's a biological physical illness. And not to say that someone um, who has environmental stress only and their inside, like their hormones and neurotransmitters are all balanced, that it won't happen to them. We know there are multiple causes for postpartum depression and anxiety. So environmental stresses can be a huge trigger. But for me, that was the light bulb. And that's when I started really researching and trying to understand this disease. Yeah. Um, I read something really interesting actually on your uh, site. There was an article and she said, I wrote down this quote, sometimes I feel like women are just incubators. It is a shame the government does not see the value in investing in perinatal mental health, especially during the pandemic when rates of postpartum depression are increasing. So I really thought it was important for us to talk about this because of the pandemic, because of, like you said, these moms and dads already feeling isolated because let's get real. We, we kind of are, I mean, you can open up your social bubble a little bit, but now it feels like it's going to close back up again. These women are, who are having babies are kind of going into this lonely world and then I can't imagine bringing a child into this world. And then, you know, everybody struggles a little bit with where should I bring my child to that family function? Should I bring them? They're so new. And now you've got this virus that is potentially deadly for some people. I can't imagine then bringing a baby and having that worry on top of just all your regular worries. Now add a mental health issue on top of that. Um, have you guys been communicating with moms who are struggling like during the pandemic? Like, have you guys seen a large increase? Absolutely. I'm, I'm assuming yes. 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 We run a campaign called hashtag. This is my story. You know, we put it on pause a little bit over the summer, but if you'll, you'll see, we have stories um, when the pandemic started, we have a story by Candace Thomas, who was actually pregnant and gave birth during the pandemic. And she candidly, uh, shares all of her fears. We have more stories coming out soon. 
But yeah, we're hearing from lots of moms. And you can talk to Jamie. Jamie talks to them on a daily basis in her work. So Mm -hmm. Jamie, I'll hand it over to you. Yeah. So part of my practice, I provide psychotherapy. And yeah, my clients are extremely anxious. They Mm -hmm. are afraid. Many of them follow the rules more rigidly than others. So that, you know, makes it more difficult for them. They're still in phase one where they haven't increased their bubble. They're not going grocery shopping. They're not getting out. And so you can imagine how that can really affect their mental health. So they're struggling and they're struggling on a level that, you know, nobody should have to struggle at. So before COVID, it was hard to have a baby. It was hard on our mental health, but COVID has just placed something, you know, that makes it a little, well, a lot harder. And, you know, you know, to answer part of your question, as soon as the baby comes out, the baby becomes the patient and not the mom. And so, you know, we have scheduled tons of scheduled visits for baby, but none of them are mom focused. So we need more visits. We need every time that she goes to a doctor or a pediatrician or a well baby visit or whatever, somebody needs to be asking her, how are you feeling? Are you eating? Do you have a sense of enjoyment? Are you coping? Because her mental health is important. It will affect the mental health of everybody around her, as Patricia was talking about before. So we need her to be the pillar of all types of health care for her, her family, the baby, whichever. You know, as from a research perspective, women's research is not well-funded. It's way better than it used to be, but we need more research being done on women. Yes, we grow beautiful babies. We are creators. We are amazing creatures, but that needs to be prioritized. That needs to be put up as such an important piece and followed through. We need to make sure women are well on in all levels of her life so she can have a happy, healthy, and thriving family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have, um, my sister-in-law is going to give birth in December and I have been kind of just in check with her because that's a fear of mine. I don't personally know anybody else who has, but I am nervous for her. I'm nervous that she's, she already says, um, now that she's getting bigger and they have a toddler as well. So that alone makes things 10 times more difficult. But she had recently said to me, oh, I'm going to have my husband go and he's going to start doing all the grocery shopping because when the baby comes, like, I don't want to take the baby to the grocery store. And she was talking about Christmas and would she be coming to Christmas because she doesn't know that she wants people holding the baby. And I'm anxious for her, like listening to her talk Mm -hmm. about that. It freaks me out because I'm just like well what are you going to do you're just going to sit in the house all the time and are you going to be afraid of people coming to see the baby of course she is I feel like you're afraid of people coming to see your new baby period because people have germs and you know people have those regular fears but like I said earlier now she's worried about COVID and with the numbers going up and up again it's kind of like we're back to where we were in March and people like her I am I'm scared for them because I hope Mm -hmm. that she has more support. I mean, she's got me, but I'm not a healthcare provider, you know, and she's going to get the same as everybody else gets. She'll have her six week follow-up at least this time around. I think she's a little bit more ready, like mentally and maybe just understanding the predicament that we are in right now. But a lot of people don't, a lot of people kind of get hit Mm -hmm. in the face with it. I'm sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think like Patricia, was it um, Manitoba or Saskatchewan where we were actually finding that some women are not getting their six week checkups? Really? You know, Saskatchewan, yeah. 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 And so there's a lot of inconsistency that has happened. So we're not even getting that right now. We're not getting that check-in. We have some parents that are being told they can only have one visitor. And actually in some parts of Canada, they've had no support people. Mm -hmm. And so for many women, like the like you were just saying, the amount of stress and anxiety preparing for birth and then the social events, you know, that anxiety a lot of the time comes from a lack of control, right? Mm-hmm. Is They can control themselves and people in the, you know, at home, but we can't control everything around us and we can't control the world or all those pieces and it becomes very uncomfortable. And so you know, for women whose moms are still working, you know, mm-hmm. how, how do we control that piece when all we want is for mom to move in and help us and be there? And so that, that can be very uncomfortable. And I feel for all the families that are, you know, going, you know, that are birthing during a pandemic, because it definitely changes the situation. It kind of robs some joy. It takes some, yeah. it takes a whole new mind frame. I hope that you, you know, my wish for all of the families that are having babies is to understand that there's the rules and then there's flexible rules that you have to embrace to protect your mental health. So if we somehow get back to a lockdown again for your mental health, add another person to your bubble. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that new moms and dads are supported they need lots of different supports and many of the different programs that they normally have are closed or they can't go to. And so it's so important that they're able to create that village of support and reach out virtually. A lot of the programs are virtual now. So lots of Zoom. Yes. Um, But making sure you're connecting on different levels. And if the pandemic had have hit 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had access to the virtual piece. So that is a blessing in itself that we can still FaceTime people, that yeah. we can still WhatsApp or all these other platforms that exist, that we can still see people. Well, that's great. Because I was going to ask you, what's your advice? But you kind of covered it. You're welcome. The bubble. I think it's important. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are reading my mind, my mind today, honestly. Every question I have, I have, I'm like, okay, she covered it. Okay, she covered it. Great. <laughs> It's not our first podcast. I know. <laughs> I know. No, I no, see we're that. We're so passionate about it. Jamie and I could talk for hours and hours and about it. You know, just I just remembered actually when I was going through my first postpartum. I don't know. I don't know how old you are, Amanda, but Jamie will remember. Remember H one N one? Oh, I I do. I was, <laughs> I was young, okay. but I do I was remember. So anxious over H one N one. I made. Uh, everyone in my family, myself, my daughter, we lined up around the corner, you know, the line went around the community center to get the vaccines. I was so paranoid of people coming over. So, mm-hmm. and that, and that was probably a 10th of what moms are going yeah. through right now of, of COVID. So yeah, we do, we feel mm-hmm. for them. And if the system were up to par, they would be able to get an appointment with their family doctor right away. And they, and the family doctor would be able to assess them and they would be referred to a perinatal specialist and they would be able to do virtual 
therapy right away. But unfortunately, that's not happening for most most of our parents. So that's what we're fighting for. I love that you guys are fighting for, honestly, from someone who went through it. I mean, I was fairly lucky. I did get to see somebody, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people don't have the, like the resources. They don't even know where to start. You know what? I love what you guys are doing because you're advocating for so many women who they all feel this way, whether they're wanting to admit it or not. Like even if they haven't gone through something they've if you've had a baby you understand the lack of support that you get in some way shape or form I've talked to so many women on my podcast even you know what breastfeeding giving birth like everything there's so many gaps in the system where women are felt like okay I had a baby but who cares about me everybody just cares about baby who cares about mom whether it's yeah mental health breastfeeding actually giving birth right like mm-hmm. so there's a whole cultural shift that we need to go we need to go through where we place uh, motherhood on more of a pedestal than it is now we is we take it more seriously because you mentioned there's a whole there's a whole spectrum here we're talking mm-hmm. about just motherhood itself yeah and the changes and then there's mental illness on top of that yeah. And they're intertwined, but they're also separate things. So there's a whole cultural shift, a whole dynamic that uh, we need to go through as a society to place mothers and fathers and partners and the whole family dynamic as the most important thing. I know a, a lot of you know people without kids maybe would balk at that, but, but it really is, I mean... <laughs> I really, I'm, you know, I'm going to say it. I think parenthood is the most important job out there. So yeah, we I need to agree. start recognizing that. And mm-hmm. I think I will openly admit before I had kids, I wasn't the first of my friend group to have kids. I think I probably would have been like, oh God. But now that I'm <laughs> in it, mm-hmm. you're just like, holy shit, right? Like what else do you say? Like, it's just, yeah. Well, you, you know, are you right. Hear- I would agree with you. You hear somebody in college talk about how tired they are and your first instinct as a parent is, oh, you have no idea. But, Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, I can't stay up till three in the morning anymore and all of that. So, I mean, it is different, but, you know, we need to prioritize matriescence Mm -hmm. and, you know, it needs to be seen, like Patricia said, as a position that is so vitally important because it's forging the minds and it's forging the path for our next generations. If we want them to be successful, then we have to support the mom. I think it comes down to how they say, if mom's not happy, child is not happy. Like if mom isn't supported, how is the child going to be supported? Mm -hmm. You know, it all starts with mom, but everybody forgets about mom. And dad. And dad. Yes. Shout out to the dads because they're important. (laughs) They are important, but they need to step up too. And a lot of them do. I'm seeing, I'm seeing the new, you know, some of the new generation of, of dads and partners just with my neighbor, you know, we're, my husband and I are like 20 years older than our neighbors. And we already see, we chuckle. We're like, wow, he changes a lot more diapers than you, dude. What's up? (laughs) I already see a cultural shift in, in some new dads and partners. So you, they have to step up as well. It's not, the onus should not fall on the mom completely. It's just yeah. not feasible. Yeah. Well, I'm I say married. to my, oh, sorry. I say to my clients, I mean, you didn't come into this role to do it yourself. 
right? Mm-hmm. We, we have talks with our partners about having kids and we don't envision being octo mom and doing all the tasks ourselves. We envision having a true partner that helps us in our role that, you know, helps us raise the children. And I think a study that was done a couple months ago says that dads are four times more present than they have ever been. They are more present. They're more helpful. We're still struggling, but Mm -hmm. definitely it's a different level. And we're, we're so fortunate that partners are seeing that co-parenting dynamic that that is building. Yeah. My husband actually is, we joke and we call him Mr. Mom because he stays home with the kids Monday to Thursday. He works, we both work full time, but he took a job where he works Friday, Saturday, Sunday, day shifts. So he can be home Monday to Thursday. I work through the week. So they only go to daycare one day, but I will say he, his respect level from me has, it was always very high, but it went up even more. And I won't lie when I get the slightest joy, when I get a text from him, like, is the day over yet? <laughs> yeah. I, I hate our children. And I'm like, yes. Oh, you do? Uh, but so yeah. now I feel like he supports me. He was very supportive through my whole experience, but I feel like he's more supportive now because he just gets it. He mm-hmm. gets what it's like to do breakfast, lunch, dinner while nobody else is there with two of them and he wants to rip out his own hair. And some of our friends and my dad, and they all just don't get it. They're like, why do you want to stay home with your kids? And he's like, they're my kids. Why wouldn't I want to stay home with them? He's not babysitting. He's the dad. Right. 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 So you are right. It is, it is changing very, very much so, but we also have to ask for it. I have a wonderful husband who point blank will tell me if you want something from me, if you want me to support you more, you need to ask me. I'm not a mind reader, but I think that's another problem is we don't ask. I complain to him all the time. Like he doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And he's like, did you ask me to? And I'm like, yeah, "Uh, well, well, no, but so sometimes I find too, maybe again, it goes back to a generational thing, but I think we automatically assume mom is mom is mom is mom and you just do it. So now if I ask, he goes, no problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know we're veering off topic a little bit, but yeah, sorry. it's also subconscious too, because I say, you know, same thing. I like, I mean, I was, I'm 43, so I'm probably a different generation bracket than you, but I just, when a baby was born, assumed I, you know, I just, even though consciously I wanted my husband to come 50%, do 50% of what I was doing, I wasn't doing that. I was myself doing like 98%. So, and he, like, he will wake up on the weekend and be like, okay, I'm going to do this, this, this outside, and I'm going to work here and there. And now I'm just starting to say, then who's looking after the kids? Whereas before I would just assume that, okay, cause I'm looking after the kids. So it's kind of subconscious too. For sure. So I'm glad that it's happening in a more and more couples relationships, but I don't think it's way near the majority yet. And I know a lot of moms, a lot of women are going to be doing a lot of the, the fighting and battling so that the next generation will get better. I know there's a yeah. lot of couples mm-hmm. struggling, a lot of moms struggling and having a lot of relationship issues over, over this. And we're kind of like the warriors so that the next generation will be a bit better. Yeah. Well, yeah, to protect them. But I think that also brings up another piece, though, Amanda, is the mental mother load, right? For sure. And so yes. when new, 
when new moms are struggling with their mental health, you know, yes, their partners aren't mind readers, but when they come and say, what do you want me to do? It's just another task. So yeah. when we are suffering from that mental mother load, I suggest to my clients to make a list and put it on the fridge so their partner can go to the list and pick tasks without, you know, coming and asking. Because for some people, that question can be met with a lot of anger and resentment. Yeah. Yeah. So, and some know, people just aren't good ways at it. To, yeah, and ways to figure out how to work on that communication and relationship piece. Because yeah. having a baby does not make your relationship stronger. It can create struggle and dynamic issues, even with the best relationships. So figuring out ways to communicate um, more effectively uh, without anger or resentment and all of those pieces. So having relationship sessions make up sessions where we can build and create a new dynamic and hopefully one day we I mean it's a great idea about the list Jamie but hopefully one day we won't have to tell them what yeah. to do our partners and husbands <laughs> yeah. they will just know and come in and do and and know what needs to be done absolutely yes. I'm sure women are going to hear this and go yay when is that coming <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, right? like it's changed a lot we have to in fight the last for it. Yeah. amount of time. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I guess, guys, I will probably end it there because I feel like I could talk to you guys <laughs> all day long. Um, but I do want you guys to share. Please share where all of my listeners can find you guys and how they can connect with you. Um, I know you said you had um, your one campaign, not the now more than ever. What was the other one? The my story one? This is my story. So if you're story. interested in telling your story about perinatal mental illness, whether you've suffered from depression, anxiety while you were pregnant or in postpartum or bipolar psychosis, we would love to hear your story because we, we think in telling stories, we're not only able to relate to one another, but that's how we're going to make the federal government understand through our stories that this is something real this is something that's happening and we post them on our website and on social media our website is cpmhc.ca and that stands for the canadian perinatal mental health collaborative you can find us on twitter you can find us on instagram and you can email us anytime if you have any questions our email is can PMHC, so C A N P M H C at gmail.com. Awesome. We'd love to hear Facebook. from you. Yes, and we're on Facebook. We're very active on Facebook. So awesome. we announce That's all our awesome. campaigns there. We have a lot of discussions. And yeah, did I miss anything, Jamie? No, I think that was great. And awesome. I think, you know, once you, you click on our website, you'll see all the different campaigns and different stories that are being published and links to different researchers across Canada. So we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out. Amazing. Well, thank you guys again. Thanks for everything that you're doing. You guys are making waves and I got everything crossed that, you know, the federal government hears. Here's what we're saying. So are you, Amanda? With this podcast and everything yeah. you're doing on social media, you are a warrior mom. So we thank you mm -hmm. for helping us get the message out too. Yeah, thanks, yeah thank guys. you. It's important. It's so, so, so important. I have a daughter and I'm hoping when she has a baby, everything will be different and she will just be supported. She'll be supported by me, but I hope she has like 
a team of people behind her after she has that baby that care for the baby, but care for her too. Exactly. We hope that for her too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much again for another episode and I will talk to you very soon. Bye.